no, it's over to me. <laughs> I keep sometimes have moments of thinking, are you, am I, I'm on. Are you sure you've got the right person? <laughs> I think, are you sure you, but um, I just love Jesus so much. And so it is just such a privilege to be here for him, really, and to be here with you. So thank you for having me. Um, okay, so this might not be the most positive start, but can't life be hard sometimes? <laughs> I wonder what your experience was like of trying to leave the house to get here this evening. I wonder if you were bombarded with last-minute um, bits of homework that are due in tomorrow, or whether you were frantically trying to wash up from tea whilst making packed lunches and giving out instructions left, right and centre. Maybe you left feeling guilty that you rushed out without the time to listen to a husband or a friend or a child tell you about their day. Maybe you walked out in the middle of having crosswords with someone you love. Maybe you haven't even been home yet. Maybe you've come straight from a tiring day at work. <clears throat> if you floated serenely throughout the day and had time and space to get here this evening without any complications at all, then I'm really envious. <laughs> I am just so aware of the pressures um, of daily life. We're all moving so fast. If you're anything like me, you'll be so busy just trying to hold everything together and get everything done. Our heads are filled with jobs, lists, work, family, and basically just the chaos of everyday life. We live in a world where we're made to believe that we are what we do. We worry about what people think of us, and so often we allow the world to determine who we are. We live in a world that's constantly trying to convince us that the burden is on us to prove that we're worthy to be loved. We fear that without recognition, popularity, admiration, we're worthless. We've inherited a tendency to forget our true identity. Our intentions are good. We want to be grateful and have meaningful moments in our day, but the time slips away. Evening comes, and most of us will not have fully lived in the present moment or reflected on our greater purpose. If you're anything like me, I can just be ready to collapse in a heap by the end of the day. And it's not only expectations, striving, and busyness that we've got to contend with. There's also pain. Jesus says in John 13, 16, 33, In this world, we will have trouble and experience difficulty. But when life deals yet another heavy blow it still never fails to catch me off guard. 
You might have heard a bit of my story. I'm not going to share my whole story now, but um, as an aside, if you, if you want to listen to my story, it's on a Voices on the Trinity Cheltenham um, podcast, so you can access it if you want to hear the whole story. Um, but a bit of my story of being woken in the early hours of a Tuesday morning four years ago to my 34-year-old husband having what seemed to be a heart attack as he lay next to me in our bed. He died in my arms as our three daughters, who were two, three, and five at the time, lay sleeping in the room next door. A year before Colin died, his first job fell through, and we lost everything we had and became homeless overnight with our three girls, who were just babies then. It was very scary. And I've had times during these experiences where I felt totally paralyzed by fear. I felt terrifying aloneness and overwhelming disappointment. All of us in this room represent a story. And I'd hazard a guess that for most of us, there's something about life that we're finding hard. I don't know what life being hard might mean for you in this present moment, but I know that you will. I know for me, I can find being a single parent, holding down a responsible job, working long days, the meals, the homework, the children's parties, the school trips, really hard. I worry about things that have happened and things that might still happen in the future. Life can be hard. And yet, I found myself standing up at Colin's Thanksgiving service after he died and saying that as passionately as I loved Colin and as utterly devoted to him as I tried to be, he wasn't my reason for living. Jesus is. In all my busyness, my striving, my pain, and my loneliness, I hear a song. Jesus has given me incredible glimpses of his love. We can only look for something we have to some degree already found. By giving us a taste of his love, an incurable lovesickness, is created within us. I believe he draws us on until we cannot live without more. We become the lovesick friends of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, puts it this way. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts the secret which also pierces with such sweetness, the secret we cannot hide and cannot tell, though we desire to do both. We cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it, and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. It's the scent of a flower we've not yet found, the echo of a tune we've not yet heard. News from a country we've not yet visited. Our whole education is dedicated to silencing this shy, persistent inner voice. But do what we will, we remain conscious 
of a desire that no natural desire will satisfy. This story of desire is so well illustrated in the Song of Songs. The story of King Solomon, who encountered a maiden who was watching her flock. They fall in love and she becomes his bride. It's the story of a nobody who captures the heart of the king. She begins a maiden and becomes a bride. Jesus tells me, this is my story. I'm a nobody, but I've captured the heart of a king, and I am becoming his bride. This is not only my story, it's your story too, and it's our story as the church of Jesus. He wants to awaken our hearts again to persevere on our journey of being prepared by Jesus to be his bride. God has created us with a heart that only his love can satisfy. No love is higher than his love. No love is wider. No love is deeper. No love is truer. And no love will be more faithful. The title I originally gave Anne for this talk, as you've seen, was Pause a While, Noticing and Enjoying God's Presence in the moment. This title is born out of my desire to lean into living with an increasingly conscious awareness of God's presence. I know I'm busy trying to achieve more and do more in less time, but I also know that by living this way, I'm missing out. But how do I, how do we notice and enjoy God in the moment? What secret? How do I rip open the inconsolable secret? The secret which hurts, the secret which also pierces with such sweetness. The maiden in the Song of Songs says to the king in chapter 1 verse 4, Take me away with you, I will run after you. Jesus was always busy, but he withdrew repeatedly from crowds and activities. He spent time with his father. And from that place of intimacy, he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spent time with his father. Although we know this, it can be a real sticking point for us. How are we supposed to find the time and the space to withdraw? I have a friend at church who said to me last year, it's all right for you, you don't have a husband, but I've got a husband and I have to think about him and he takes up all my time. I just don't have the same time as you to spend with God. But I don't find it easy either. I can find myself believing the lie that spending time with God will mean missing out on some other pleasure. There can be such loud, competing voices for my time and attention. But the truth is, we all need a secret life in God, a hidden life in his presence. The truth is that if we want to cultivate our ability to notice and enjoy God's presence in the moment, 
We need those times when we run after him. Jesus understood what it was to be busy and under pressure. He knew what it was to feel hurt by others and to be in pain. He understands, so we can trust him to teach us. He can teach us everything we need to know about noticing and enjoying God's presence in the moment. It's how he lived. So what can we learn from Jesus? He withdrew repeatedly from crowds and activities. And then he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit from a place of intimacy with his father. He withdrew repeatedly. Can you all say that with me? He withdrew repeatedly. Okay, and can you say, and he walked from a place of intimacy. Okay, he walked from a place of intimacy. These are two treasures that Jesus gives us. I want to think about what both of these treasures mean for us. When Jesus withdrew, he spent time with his father. But where did he find him? Where is God? How do we find him? Where are we actually withdrawing to? All good questions, I think. Maybe our typical response to that question is that God lives in heaven. And whilst this is biblical, it doesn't express the whole truth. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter, um, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? God not only lives in heaven, but also inside you. The Greek word here for dwell comes from the word for house and means taking up residence in a place. In this case, in your body. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you believe that we have within ourselves an interior world? St. Teresa of Avila was a Spanish Carmelite nun and mystic. She had a vision of the soul. This is how she describes what she saw. I saw the soul as a castle formed of a single diamond or a very transparent crystal and containing many rooms, just as in heaven there are many mansions. What do you imagine must that dwelling be in which a king so mighty, so wise, and so pure, containing in himself all good, can delight to rest? However large, magnificent, and spacious you imagine this castle to be, you cannot exaggerate it. The capacity of our soul is beyond all our understanding, and the sun within this palace enlightens every part of it. A king so mighty, so wise, and so pure delights to rest in your soul. God has chosen your soul for his special dwelling place. God dwells in you. This is where we find God. This is where we're withdrawing to. Take a moment to just take this in afresh again.
Each of us possesses a soul, but do we realize its value? If we don't, we fail to understand the importance of the profound secrets it contains. St. Teresa of Avila says that when we fail to understand the importance that the secrets of our souls contain, we'll do little to preserve their beauty. All our care will be concentrated on our bodies, which are the, the core setting of the diamond or the outer walls of the castle. She implores us not to think of the soul as insignificant and petty, but as an interior world containing a number of beautiful mansions. In the center, in the midst of them all, is the principal chamber. It's a place where we can find the most intimate space with God, in which God and the soul can hold their most secret intimate, divine communication. If this interior castle is your soul, you don't need a door in which to enter it because it's yourself. I just want to pause a while just for a moment. Just take a moment just to be aware of your desire to, to enter that space with God in which God and your soul can communicate Jesus withdrew repeatedly, and then he walked from a place of intimacy. In order to walk from a place of intimacy, we need to understand what intimacy really is and think about what it means for us. Intimacy is knowing and being known by another person, and it requires trust. Trust is at the heart of intimacy. Intimacy also requires time. Jesus withdrew repeatedly. He spent time with his father. Intimacy is in to me see. It's the blending of our heart with another so that they can see into who so that we can see into who they really are and they can see into us. Jesus longs to enable us to see into more of who he really is and for us to allow him to see into us. It comes from the Latin intimus, meaning inmost. The really important thing about intimacy is that it flows out of feeling completely accepted just the way we are. In order to grow in trust, we must allow God to see us and love us precisely as we are. We'll all be familiar with times that we felt passed over, ignored, or like someone's looking straight through us. We might have been very hurt in the past by opening ourselves up to someone who rejected us. But real intimacy makes us feel alive, like we've been found. God knows us better than anyone and can make us feel known in a way that no one else is able do we want to be fully seen by Jesus? Do we want to be known by him? Will I allow God to see me, all of me, even those parts of me that I don't even want to see myself? 
Will I allow God to love me precisely as I am? We hide often because we just don't feel good enough. But Jesus defines our lives by our willingness, not our weakness. He isn't bringing us close to tell us what's wrong with us, but to tell us how lovely we are. In the same breath that Jesus reminds us that in this world we'll continue to experience difficulties, he also says that in trusting him, we will be unshakable, assured, and deeply at peace. I can give you a a recent example of totally and utterly failing miserably at trusting Jesus. So in May, just gone, I made a decision to try and buy a house for the girls and I. So we've lived in a rented house for um, for the last 14 years, and it was all going really well. Um, I'd worked really hard to manage the enormity of everything that has to happen, and I found a great house, which I was told was chain-free, because um, a relocation company had bought it. So they put um, into writing their deadlines that I had to meet for exchange. So I gave notice, don't ever do that, on um, the property that we've been renting because it would have been difficult to pay rent and mortgage. And on the day I'd been instructed to exchange, my solicitor phoned me to drop the bombshell that she'd been told that the house was not, as we'd been led to believe, chain-free. Um, the owners wanted to tie it in with an uh, exchange with a property they wanted to buy as part of their relocation, which leaves the girls and I homeless again by the end of June. So you know the multiple phone calls to solicitors, estate agents, third parties, the daily chasing up several times a day, which I've been doing for the last two weeks, whilst working long days in the hospital. And by last Tuesday, I was an absolute wreck. Um, It was another day waiting for news and another day less to organise where we might live in two weeks' time. And I phoned my lovely dad on the Tuesday evening in absolute floods of tears. And my voice cracking up through the tears, I tried to tell him I'd been working on my talk for this evening all day whilst waiting for a phone call with news on the house. I said to him, I'm using this verse where Jesus says, in this world you'll continue to experience difficulty, but trusting me, you'll be unshakable, assured, and deeply at peace. And I cried, I can't even do that when it really matters. I can't do it. I don't feel unshakable or at peace or assured. I felt alone and terrified. But the truth hadn't changed just because my feelings or my circumstances had. Where is God? God is in me. He's chosen my soul for his special dwelling place. I felt alone, but I'm not alone. God is with me. I am unshakable. It's the truth, even if it takes my feelings a bit of time to catch up. God is in you. You're not alone. Do you know you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? But can I retire into my own heart? Do I hear him reminding me that he's counted every hair on my head and guided me at every step? Can I hear him saying, wherever you go, I go with you? And wherever you rest, I watch. 
Intimacy requires trust. It requires time and it requires attention. Song of Songs 3 verse 4 says, When I found the one my heart loves, I held him and would not let him go. Our lives, my life, is too often filled with moments of letting him go. Whole chunks of time can go past where I haven't even given him a second thought. I know that the two things that make me feel really loved are when I feel someone accepts me for who I am and when they give me their attention. God gives his attention to us constantly. When you love someone, you just love to look at them. You could gaze at them continuously. And God loves to watch us. He just loves us so much. But I know I can be guilty of turning my time with God into something I have to do rather than a place that I can be. He says, I've been looking at you from inside of you and loving you for years and years and years. My thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand. I read a story about the curé of Ars, a 19th century French priest who once noticed a peasant come into church and stay for hours in front of Jesus in the Eucharist. The saint asked this man, what do you say during all that time before Jesus? The peasant replied, nothing. I look at him and he looks at me. Don't try and imagine God squashed into your physical body. He watches you from the principal chamber of the large, magnificent, spacious interior castle which can be found in your soul. I look at Jesus and Jesus looks at me. Jesus is not a concept or an ideology. He's a person with whom I have a relationship. When I look at Jesus, I imagine him as he walked around on this earth. He was very real and very physical. He was a first century carpenter. He'd have had big, strong arms from heavy labor and hard work. One of the scenes I love in The Passion is of Mary telling Jesus that the wooden table he's made will never catch on. And Jesus playfully splashing water at her and kissing her on the cheek. Jesus is God poured into human flesh. I memorize Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 10 to 16. My lover is radiant and ruddy. He's outstanding among 10,000. There's no equal to him. His head is purest gold. <coughs> Excuse me. On his head are many crowns of gold. He's king. His hair is wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by water streams washed in milk. His cheeks are like beds of spice. I'm going to have to drink. <coughs> Getting too passionate, that's a problem. <coughs> Everything about Jesus is extraordinary. He awakens the desire within us to know him. His lips are like lilies. 
His arms are rods of gold. His hands are mighty to accomplish what's in his heart. Set with a jewel that shines like a diamond. His body is like polished ivory. His legs are pillars of marble. He does not fail. His mouth is sweetness itself. Jesus can give us intimacy with himself that's like sweetness to the soul. To know him is to love him. Oh dear. (coughs) We now know that we have an interior world. We now know how to find that place of quiet the inner chamber of our interior castle, our most intimate space with God, the place where God and our souls can hold their most secret, intimate, divine communication. The ability to walk through all the moments in our day, being fueled by intimacy with him, begins to flow out of our times of withdrawing and running after him. No matter what else we're doing, we can just stop and look at him in any moment of our day, knowing that he's always there in that place of quiet within us. It means we can work, play, laugh, cry, serve and love whilst listening to him and giving him our loving attention, knowing exactly where he is in every moment in the interior castle of our souls. As we begin walking from a place of intimacy, we find ourselves empowered by the Holy Spirit. His love transforms us from maiden to bride. Each moment becomes full of meaning. Each moment becomes an opportunity to allow ourselves to be enjoyed and loved by him. Each moment becomes an opportunity to know his love in the ordinariness of what we're doing, thinking about and talking about from minute to minute. Each moment becomes an opportunity to serve him, love him, and enjoy him. Jesus values our love more than any other pleasure there is. He loves our adoration. He finds rest in our love as we find rest in his Oh dear. Got a tickle in my throat now. (coughs) To be his bride is to understand that our existence on earth is for him. Our focus changes from just being about us enjoying Jesus to him also being able to enjoy us. To give him our trust our time and our attention feels like the greatest privilege we have. I love George Herbert's poem, Love Bade Me Welcome. This poem sums up everything that Jesus has asked me to say this evening. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here? Love said, you shall be she. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love, 
took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I've marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, said love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Jesus is telling us about our worthiness for love. He invites us to bear our insecurities. He's telling us this is the relationship we've been made for. This is the relationship he's paid the price for. Our response to this increased intimacy so often is that we want to serve. We really begin to care about the things that concern Jesus. We know we're made to make a difference beyond ourselves. Our lives become for others. That's a natural outworking of intimacy with Jesus. But if we're not careful, it can frequently turn into becoming busy and burdened with everyone else's expectations and mean we become driven with our need for approval from others. If we're not careful, it can distract us from all we've learned about noticing and enjoying God in the moment. Jesus withdrew repeatedly and walked from a place of intimacy. Jesus did the Father's work. He served, healed, blessed, and loved people. But he did all this in the power of the Holy Spirit and from a place of intimacy. He walked from a place of intimacy. He didn't run around crazily trying to achieve as much as possible. He walked. He took his time. He was never hurried. I say, I will serve. Jesus says, you must sit down and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. The maiden in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 5, she knows her need. She says, feed me with your love. I am utterly lovesick. This is a journey of desire. His love is a feast ready for all of us tonight. He wants us to know that we can depend on him to feed us. George Herbert's poem climaxes with the Eucharist, Christ offering his flesh and our final acceptance and consuming of it. You must sit down, says love. <coughs> Let's see if I can get to the end. <coughs> oh dear. Our whole life is now his. Our hearts have become a place of fellowship and communion with him. Thank you. He reveals to us the secret, the ultimate intimacy in which love enters us. We experience love not just by sight or by hearing, feeling or smelling, but by actually tasting it, by taking it into our own bodies so that love can dwell within us. The Eucharist is God with us. He's food for our souls. Communion with him means becoming united with God. We live in God when God has entered into us. The king's final encouragement to his bride in Song of Songs is, I know you will be busy. I know there's much to do. But in all your work and your ministry to others, let me hear your voice. Let me see your face because your voice is sweet 
and your face is lovely. He says, don't let your busyness, (coughs) your pressure or pain prevent you from just looking at me. Thank you.